0: Before I uh, jump into the uh, sermon, every once in a while, we play a game here at Grace Chapel. It's called Car Swap. And here's how the game's played. Uh, there's a few people in the church. Actually, there was two. Now there's only one because first service, we, we received one car. But there's, there's some people in the church who have a car that they're not using, and they're thinking about, well, maybe I'll trade it in, maybe I'll sell it, you know. But that's just a pain, isn't it, to go through all that? when you could just give it to the church and I could give it to somebody else? You know what I'm saying? So, and you know, here here at Grace Chapel, we have this car shop. And this is what someone will look like once you give them your car. They'll be thrilled to death. There'll be so much excitement. Um, You know, Acts talks about how they sold what they had and they gave to each other and there were no poor among them. I love that. In the body of Christ, if someone needs something... Uh, maybe someone else has it and give it to them. So if you have a car that you're not using um, and it's running, as long as it's running, we can, we can fix it. Uh, but if you have a car that's running, we would love to have that car. Give me a call, talk to me after the service, and we can give that to someone in the church who is in need of a car. It'll make seriously all the difference in the world for someone not have to go out and get a car payment or, or buy a car. You know, tough economic times. We're in this together. So if you've got one, uh, you can you can give it. Uh, another thing before, I, I don't want to forget this. Um, boy, what a week when it comes to, we're talking about, I want to be with the rain ends. We had more phone calls this week in the office with people who are going through, found out they had cancer, their parents are are dying, um, really physical and emotional struggles going on within the body of Christ. And I'm sure it's in every church that this is going on, but our church this week and last couple of weeks, a lot of people really struggling. So we, we really, as a staff, we've been praying for all of you who've let us know what you're going through. We also want to pray for you this morning. We have people who will be praying with you on the left hand, my left here on this side of the stage. After the service is over, you, you make your way over there. We have people who will pray with you. We want to make sure that we're connecting with each other. We're holding each other up. We're praying for each other. We're loving each other uh, as God calls us to do. Um, we're continuing our series this morning, I Want to Be With the Rain Ends, and, and back by popular demand, someone you probably never heard of, right? Last week, I, you know, we're talking, we talked about Joseph and all this kind of thing, and people, some people were walking out saying, you know, uh, uh, I, I like it when you pick someone I've never heard of before. So uh, the next couple weeks, next two or three weeks, you'll be probably hearing about people you've never heard of before. Um, and this morning in 2 Samuel 23, 20 through 23, We're talking about Maniah. Maniah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Beniah, son of Jehoiada, who too was as famous as the three mighty men. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. George Bernard Shaw wrote, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get on in this world are people who get up and look for the circumstance they want, and if they can't find them, they make them. That's our man Beniah. Beniah was, was, he, he kind of, this guy was a guy who lived like, like head on. He lived life head on. He was valiant, he was aggressive, he was a risk taker, and he was self-confident. You'll see that as we go through this. I mean, one self-confident man, this was Benaiah. He wasn't afraid. He had no fear. Benaiah was loyal. He remained loyal. He remained by David's side when his son Absalom Absalom, uh, revolted against David. And and Benaiah remained by David's side. So he was loyal. He was a man of loyalty. He was going to stand by you regardless of what the circumstances may be. His importance to David is absolutely clear. He's listed with Zadok, the the priest. And you remember remember Nathan, the prophet. Benaiah is listed with them. So it's really clear that David held this man in high regard. He began his military career as one of David's mighty men. And then he ultimately was put in charge of David's bodyguards. Now, uh, you know, hey, who knows? Maybe he was hanging around with Obed-Edom a little bit there too, our man Obed-Edom. But he was put in charge of the bodyguards. And so he made his way up through the ranks, you know, he started out and then he became one of David's mighty men. Then he became uh, one of David's, he was in charge of David's personal bodyguard. Let's be absolutely clear here. Benaiah, Benaiah was no ordinary soldier. I mean, his, 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 his courage and his skill were without question. I mean, he defeated two of Moab's best men. He then goes down on a snowy day into a pit and kills a lion. And then he takes on and defeats this huge Egyptian, kind of like a David and Goliath type story. This huge Egyptian with a spear. Beniah was the kind, uh, he was kind of a man's man. He was a strong man. He loved God with all of his heart. He was loyal to David. He was loyal to his nation. He stood up and defended those who were around him that God put around him. First Kings tells us that he ultimately became the head of Solomon, David's son, Solomon's army. So he continued to move up just like just like Obed-Edom, you know, as you're faithful to God, he continued, God continues to move you in that direction. So, so we have Beniah. it continues to move up. And ultimately in first Kings, it tells us that he became the head of Solomon's army. He goes from seeming obscurity, just obscurity, and takes a prominent role in the national security of this, of this young nation, Beniah. You know, somebody we may have never heard of, but God used him in a powerful way. You know, sometimes the storms of life transform us. They transform us. They, they reshape us in ways that we never thought possible. We sometimes look at storms and say, oh, if I could just avoid this or if I could just avoid that, I could just, oh, I, would, I, I don't want to go through this and I don't want to get around that. But the reality is the storms of life reshape us in ways that we really never thought possible. I mean, think about it. We, we lose a job and we find a career. That, that, that physical, that physical uh, ailment that you've, you've been going through, that you went through, showed you your purpose in life. I was talking to someone last week Who who made it through cancer, survived cancer. And it was that experience of surviving cancer and going through that storm in her life that showed her her purpose in life. So the storms often help us and an emotional scar from the past redirects the course of our life something that you've been through that maybe for many people it's weighed them down and, and, and really it, it, it dictates their destiny. But for you, that, that emotional scar that you've been through redirected the course of your life. You know my story. The reason I'm standing here is because of the storms of life pushed me and pushed me and shaped me and put me in this position it wasn't that I just got up and I was in a Christian home and my, my relatives all said, you know, one day you're going to be a pastor. And I just went there and I went on to seminary and blah, 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 blah. You know, it, that didn't happen at all. I took a completely different path to get here. And it was a really rough path. And the passion that I have for God and the passion that I have for you was, was honed. It was created by the storms in my life. The reason I can, I, can, I can empathize, the reason I can sympathize, the reason I enter into your suffering is because I've experienced suffering myself. I know what that's like. I know when I talk to some of you, I may not have gone through the same experience, but you know what? Different experiences, when, we all, when you go through suffering, you understand, you have a better understanding of what people are going through. My passion for those who are in need, who are defenseless, is because in life I felt defenseless. I was in that position. I was the poor person. I didn't have. I struggled. My mom struggled. We struggled. I understand what that feels like to not have anything. And so as I reach out to those in our own community, in our own church, and around the world with the love of Jesus Christ, it comes from a heart of understanding of where, where people are coming from. The storms of life can reshape us and set direction for us. Talking about Beniah, the theologian, Frank Borman wrote this. He met the worst of enemies in the worst of places, places under the worst of conditions, and he won. And he won. As I studied his life this week, something really kind of kept, kept hitting me. It, it really struck me. Storms don't always change who we are they don't really always change who we are as much as they unleash our true self. Storms don't always change who we are, our personalities, you know. They don't always change who we are as much as they unleash our true self. I mean, you think about this, all right? <laughs> um, people don't just jump into pits with lions in the wintertime unless they have that, that, the heart of a warrior already in them. That doesn't happen. It's like, oh, look, the pit with the lion. Who wants to go? Oh, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll go. That sounds like a good idea. I'm going to jump in a pit with a lion in the, in the snow. I mean, talk about not good footing. Talk about a bad situation. If you don't have the heart of a warrior already in you, you're most likely not going to jump into the pit. But those opportunities, those, those trials in life, those, 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 those times where we have to face adversity, they, they, what they do is they, they bring out what, what is in you They bring out what's inside of you. The storms of life, think about this, the storms of life awaken the hidden potential that often lies dormant when we go through an otherwise safe and secure life. If your life's just one big skip in the park, most likely there are things within you that have never come out, that you've never really experienced because no one's lit the fire under you. You haven't been refined by fire. It's when we go through the challenges of life that many of those things that have laid dormant arise. They come up. We, they, we become who we were created to be. They're unleashed in our lives. So sometimes as the storms don't really as much change us as unleash our true potential of who we are. And I thought about that with Beniah this week. I think about it in your lives. How many people are sitting out there who are living a mediocre Christian life and wondering why. What you need to do is allow God to continue to speak to you during those challenges. Allow him to, to raise up in you the person that you were created to be. Take, take on, when those, those, when those storms come in your life, take them on. Don't run from them. Take them on realizing that God is going to refine me. God can, God can use those difficulties in my life to help me become more like his son, Jesus Christ you know in other words the storms of life prepare us for lions the storms of life prepare us for lions those 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 enemies that will come out us all the time in first peter chapter 5 and verse 8 The Bible says that Satan is like a lion. It says this, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we think, oh, yeah, see, oh man, the enemy, he's like a lion. What are we gonna do? Oh my goodness. And so as Christians, we go, oh, Satan's like a roaring lion. Well, Benaiah, our man here, in verse 20, it says, listen, Benaiah, you have to get the language here, how it's laid out. Went down and killed the lion in a pit on a snowy day. Went down. Ask yourself here, who's on the offensive here? Not the lion. It wasn't the lion. It was Beniah. Beniah was on the offensive. He was on the offensive. He wasn't waiting. He he wasn't running from the lion, fell into a pit, and the lion jumped in after him. The lion was there. He went on the offensive. I remember I was in college. I don't know why they would do these things, but, you know, moral dilemmas or whatever else. I remember vividly they asked, what would you do if you were put in a a pit or in a, 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 he said a pit, with a lion? And, and most of the, it was like 50 people in the class. And most of the people in the class had one of two answers. Most of the, a lot of the guys and some of the girls said, oh, I'd, I'd run, I'd just run. I'd try to climb out, I'd run away. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what I'd do. A lot, of, a lot of the people said, I'd just crawl up in, curl up in a ball, hope he wouldn't, you know, ignore me. And I'm thinking, those aren't, I don't think those are really good answers. And they asked me, well, what, what would you do? And I wasn't being arrogant or anything. I just said I'd hit the ground and attack the lion. I would, because what I said was, maybe I'd catch him off guard. Maybe that was, I'd do the last thing the lion would expect me to do, and that would give me the best chance of survival. I'd hit the ground, and I'd attack the lion for all I'm worth, and maybe the lion would be kind of thrown off guard, or he would think, this guy's nuts. This meal is crazy. You know what I mean? I'm going to stay away from him. I'd probably chase the lion around in circles, trying to, you know, I bet you I'd live a lot longer than a person who curled up in a bowl, trying to run away, look like prey. That's what people do. That's what we do. Satan's like a roaring lion. Oh, we better run. We better run away. In our battle with Satan, my friends, in our battle with Satan, we are not the prey. Understand that. We are not the prey, and we shouldn't wait around passively to be devoured. You see, in the story that God is writing about my life, I'm not the victim. And sometimes we think that, you, you know, you write the story, you're writing your own story, but the story that God is writing for your life, you are not the victim. You are not the prey. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We can do all things to Christ who gives us strength. We know that, we hear that, we read that. We need to believe that. We are not the prey. We are not the victims of the story that God is writing for our lives. Beniah was not caught off guard here. He was not caught off guard. He took the offensive and he went down into the pit. He went down. The lion was the only victim in this story. The lion was the victim. I remember watching about a year ago a documentary on lions and uh, the warthogs or whatever they were, the... Um, those, those wild pigs, those boars, those big wild boars. And the lions, you see most of the time, the, 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 the pig runs away and the lion jumps on it and that's over. But you know what? I watched one time this big male boar didn't run away. He stood his ground. And basically at the end of the story, he gutted the lion and the lion was dead. He didn't run. He didn't become the prey animal. He turned around and faced the enemy and killed the enemy. The only prey, the victim in the story was The lion. In your spiritual life, are you living your life like Beniah, On the offensive, living your life with boldness for God? Or are you running scared? Are you retreating from the enemy? You go into the storms of life and Satan loves to work in the storms of life and you go into the storms of life, are you running scared? Are you huddled in a corner? Are you just, just kind of hoping that it all works out for you? Are you retreating from the enemy? Listen to me. Do you know, do you know, as a Christian, the only time we're ever vulnerable is when we're running away, when we're running away? Because in Ephesians chapter six, verses 13 through 17, write that down. Ephesians chapter six, verses 13 to 17. Because in Ephesians, speaking of the armor of God, There is no armor to protect the back of a Christian. The armor is offensive. Read it. Check it for yourself. There's no protection for the back of the Christian. The only time that we're in danger, the only time that we're vulnerable is when we're running away, not when we're moving forward at the enemy. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have a healthy respect for my enemy, but it's a a healthy respect, not a fear. I have the Holy Spirit of God living in me. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ lives in me. What can the evil one do to me? Kill me? Oh, please. That would be... uh. I get to go be with God. That's, that's the worst of circumstances. See, as Christians, the only time that we're truly vulnerable is when we're running away. And Satan's main purpose, my friends, is to do what they do to, lions do to animals, to separate us from God to separate us from each other and separate us from God. Because when we're separated, we are vulnerable. And Satan knows that if he can't take you spiritually, if he can't affect you spiritually, eternally, because you have a relationship with Christ, then what he will do is he will attack you emotionally emotionally. Emotionally in the here and now. If he can't take you down spiritually, because he knows you're going to spend an eternity with Christ, then he will attack you emotionally in the here and now. And the storms of life provide a great opportunity for him to do that. We're off balance. we're we're hurting, we're frustrated, we're angry, we're not thinking clearly, and then the enemy comes in and tries to destroy us. But in James chapter 4, in verse 7, we are commanded to resist the devil and he will flee from us. Resist the enemy and he will flee. Resist. Resisting is not running away. When I resist, my enemy must flee. I looked up resistance in the dictionary. Here's what resistance is. To oppose actively to strive against, to withstand. Those are not passive, roll up in a ball, run away from. Those those are actions. Those are aggressive. Those Those are offensive. We are to be on the offensive. Our God lives in us to oppose actively, strive against, to withstand whatever power Satan may have. The Christian can be absolutely certain that we have the ability to overcome what we're being, what's going to be thrown at us. We have the ability to overcome. Why? Not because of how strong we are, not because how brave we are, not because of all the power that we have, but because we have the risen Christ. We have the risen Christ standing with us, carrying us, fighting for us. We have the power of God that lives in us. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us. And I can pretty much guarantee you the risen Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is not shaking in, the, they're not shaking in their boots because the enemy is coming at us. And we don't have to be shaking in our boots either. We need to go on the offensive. We need to face the adversities of life head on. I know that's difficult. I sometimes just want to sit down and cry and I'm overwhelmed and I just can't believe this is happening whatever the case may be, but the reality is I need to get up every single morning and remember who I am. I am a joint heir of Jesus Christ. I have one of, I am one of God's children. I am no victim. I am not the prey. I'm filled with the spirit of the living God. But I also showed his ability to overcome adversity by defeating defeating two of Moab's best men. He defeated two of Moab's best men. The Moabites were physically related to Israel, but they were enemies. They were still enemies. In our theme of overcoming adversity, as we're going through this theme in in our series, the Moabites this morning will reflect our flesh. They, they represent our flesh, our sin, the sinful nature that we all have. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We are, we are sinful by nature. And so the Moabites represent the flesh. By flesh, we talk about that sinful nature, that, that kind of, that wars against us. In Romans chapter seven, verses 15 through 25, it kind of spells it out for us. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate to do, I do. It goes on. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. To be even more specific, we could look at the Moabites as representing the flesh basically out of control. Though It's that area of our lives that we really, really struggle, this flesh that just gets out of control. Do you remember the, the, the uh the the history of the the nation of the Moabites. In Genesis uh, chapter 19, verses 30 through 38, it tells us that the Moabites came about because of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his eldest daughter. I'm talking, you know, uh, flesh out of control here. And that's, that's what we need to realize. To overcome our sin, we need to be diligent. We need to be consistent. Let me give you an example. Jericho. Jericho was a stronghold of the enemy for a long time, but then Israel conquered Jericho through Joshua. Joshua conquered Jericho. and But what happened was they, they lost their focus over time. We, we, we kind of get lazy, we lose our focus, and they lost their focus. And Jericho, during the time of the judges, went back into the enemy's hands, so Jericho is back in the enemy's hands because, the, because they did not, they did not c- fight off the Moabites. They didn't, they didn't keep them in check. And because they didn't keep them in check, they didn't keep that, if we're talking about ourselves, that area of flesh in check. It just kind of creeped back up. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The storms of life are sometimes created because we don't keep these things in check. We don't, we don't, we don't fight with all of our hearts. Our sinful nature must be held in check at all costs. Notice the language here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Listen to what it says. It says, put to death, not fiddle around with, see what you can do, um, you know, uh, push it off to the side, avoid it if you can. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Whenever you hear these things listed, greed's always there. Greed and selfishness, they're always there, being selfish and greedy with what you have. Uh, We love to pick on those other areas because we can point our fingers at everybody else, but the reality is greed is always there, which is idolatry. See, many of us find ourselves in the storms of life because we cannot control our sinful nature. We put ourselves in the middle of the rain because we cannot control our sinful nature. We lack self-control and we end up paying a dear price. My friends, this is the truth. If you play with fire, you will get burned. You may get around it, you may avoid it, you may avoid the problem, you may doodle with the fire a little bit and put your foot in there and reach in and grab something, oh that hurt a little bit. Sooner or later, if you play with fire, you will get burned. It's just a reality of life. John Maxwell wrote this, everything you now do is something you have chosen to do. Some people don't want to believe that. But if you're over the age of 21, your life is what you're making of it to change your life, you need to change your priorities. We are not keeping the flesh, as it were, sometimes under control. We get lazy, we let it go, and then we get tired, we go through the storms of life. And let me tell you something, if you're, if you're a person who can't control your temper, and you're doing a really good job, and you've worked at it for a long time, where you'll stumble is when you get tired when you feel overwhelmed, when, when the storms of life and the adversity of life come pressing down on you, that's when you seem to fall back because you're not paying attention. You're not, you're not holding strong. And that's when the, the temptations of the flesh come back and they seize us and we end up in the middle of the rain. We end up in a storm that we've created for ourselves. But I also showed his power to overcome adversity by killing a huge Egyptian. The Bible says there's a huge Egyptian with a spear See, Egypt was an enemy of Israel. And in our desire to overcome adversity um, in our lives, Egypt will represent the world for us this morning. Egypt represents the world. As God redeemed his people out of Egypt, so God redeems us, his people, out of the world. You know, God wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. He doesn't want us to engage in the things that the world has to offer. We have to go to work. We have to go to school. We interact with people. We should. We shouldn't pull ourselves out of our culture. We should be engaged in our culture, but we not, don't need to go along with our culture and everything they ask us to do. You see, the problem is after the exodus, Israel, in some ways, was still a little bit attracted to Egypt. Kind of like, you know, that really bad relationship that you were in a long time ago, over and over and over again with that guy or that woman or whatever else, and your friends are going, why do you keep going back to this person? Well, I don't know. I just, you know, you know, you just got to cry and everything. I don't know. something wrong with me. Well, there is something wrong with you a little bit. I love you, but there's something wrong with all of you, all of us. Okay, let's all admit it. Raise your hand. Something wrong with you. Yep, yep, something wrong with me. And so it's the same thing, you know, you, you know it's the wrong thing to do. You just keep going back into that relationship, and your friends are like... You know what I mean? What's wrong with you? And your friend does the exact same thing. It's, you know, you get, it's that pull. You don't know why you do it. It's just like that worldly pull. You kind of, it's maybe something you've been through in your life. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel whatever. But that, then that pull. See, the problem is that that affects us in such a powerful way. See, Israel was craving the things that they remember when they were, were captive in Egypt, And sometimes if you read the Old Testament, they even say, we want to go back. Why are we doing this? Let's just go back. may not have been the perfect situation, but let's go go back there. So they wanted to go back. If we're being honest, we cannot deny, if we're being honest, that this world has an incredible tug, an incredible pull in our lives. It really does. You know, that's why I say all the time, let's just do life together. This world is too hard to be looking at each other and pointing fingers when one of us falls down. Let's help the other person up. You know, the, the, the thing about being a Christian, as long as you're not saying, well, that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. I can do that all I want to. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't see why you even sound bother me. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's your attitude, you got, got, got a problem. But if you're saying, my gosh, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep going back to this? Why do I, oh, uh, I can't. And I, mean, I don't care if it's over and over and over again. We need to come around each other and encourage each other and just do life together because life is difficult enough. We need to surround each other and protect one another. And, and for Israel, they were, they were being pulled in. And, and we have to admit that in this battle, the world often feels as impressive and as overwhelming to, to, to us as this huge Egyptian looked to Benaiah. I mean, it's just, you know, obviously he took him on and he won, but you can't think that he wasn't at least looking going, oh my goodness, couldn't I fight some little teeny guy? This guy's huge and I only have a club and he has a spear. That's how it looks like to us sometimes. We have a club, we have a little knife, you know what I mean? And the world comes at us with a sword and it's like, oh my goodness, this is just overwhelming. We have to admit sometimes that the world is overpowering. It, it seems to even crush us sometimes. But again, we need to understand even though that may be true, following, giving in, and following the ways of this world will only lead to one thing suffering. It will lead to suffering. Mark my words, I'm telling you the truth. I'm only 48 years old, but I lived a long time, been through a lot of things, hung around with the, a lot of the wrong people growing up. They were just, who, that's who I hung around. They were, they were my friends. And I watched people, I watched people, I, I know of my friends burning in cars because they drank too much and they wrapped their car around a pole and the car caught on fire. And one of the girls I, I was friends with, she died in that burning car with her brother and her cousin. I've been through, I've watched the misery and suffering of people who don't heed the word of God and go out and do things that they probably Shouldn't be doing. I'm not saying anyone deserves anything. All I'm saying is these things happen. Suffering is brought about by following the ways of the world. They they just are. You think, oh, this is all going to work out? Oh, God. you know, I feel like, oh, I just feel like I should be with this person. Oh, I just feel like I should do that, and all these feelings. You know where they lead you? They lead you into a pit. That's where all these feelings lead you. And the world says, oh, trust your feelings. Trust your feelings. Following the wisdom of the world never leads you out of the rain. It leads you into the middle of the storm. It leads you right into the heart of the middle of the storm. The values of this culture are not biblical values, my friends. They are not biblical values. And we cannot allow the thinking and choices of our culture to to compromise our thinking and actions as believers we want, I want with all my heart to reach out to our culture. But while we're reaching out, we cannot become like our culture. While we're reaching out as a church to reach our culture, we cannot become like our culture. We cannot compromise the word of God in order to reach out to those around us. And you know what? We don't have to. You may be told that in other places, that, oh, we're doing this and we're doing that and we're doing the other thing in order to reach out. You know what? You can reach out without compromising the word of God. Because when you compromise the word of God, something negative, something horrible is going to happen. My professor at college said, what you win people with is what you win people to. And so when you win people to Jesus Christ by saying, listen, let me tell you something. You can do everything you're doing now. All you got to do is ask Jesus into your heart. Just ask Jesus in your heart. Oh, sure you can steal that. Can I do that? Oh, sure you can still do that. Can you do? Oh, yeah. We're under grace. Everything's grace, grace. It's all great. You know what I mean? Do whatever you want. What you win people with is what you win people to. And then those same people who you bait and switched go through the adversity in their life. They go through struggles and trials and difficulties and temptations, and they can't handle it because they have no foundation because you sold them the bill, a bill of goods. Eat, drink, and be merry and ask Jesus to come into your life. It doesn't really matter what's the difference. We're all good. What you win people with is what you win people to. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to present the gospel to people who desperately need to hear the word of God and need a savior and need a Lord and need someone in their lives who's going to help them, who's going going to carry them, who's going to give them strength when lions come prowling. That's what we need to offer people. Yes, life's going to be difficult. Yes, you have to give these things up for because Jesus is now Lord of your life. Yes, it's going to, you're going to have to discipline yourself in some ways. But you know what? God will get you through all of these trials. God will get you through all this adversity. But you need to follow him. That's the truth. That's the truth. Jesus will take us as we are. But Jesus never leaves us as we are. He'll take you right where you are right now. You, I don't care what you're doing in your life, I don't care what you call yourself the sinner or the, the chief of all you are you are amazed at the building and cave in when you walked in and all that kind of thing. You know what? God will take you just as you are, but he won't leave you just as you are. Don't let anybody tell you any different. God is looking to turn us into the people who will become more like his son, Jesus Christ. You know, many of you feel like you're drowning right now. You're gonna drown. I mean, you feel like completely overwhelmed. And it's because you're following the wrong guide. You're listening to the wrong voice. I remember taking a group of high school students on a whitewater rafting trip. We're on this trip and and we had a bunch of guides and a bunch of different groups. And so we were, we, with our group, we had a couple different, uh, we had about 25 or 30 people and we had some really good guides. And the boat I was in, the guide was probably 45 or 50 years old. He'd been on the river for years. And he was, he was pretty much in your face kind of guy. He was a mature man. And he said, listen, and if he, someone was talking, he said, Hey, stop talking. Listen to me. When we get on this river, you're going to have to do everything that I command you to do. Everything I tell you to do, I want you to do immediately. I don't want any goofing around. And you know, he was there and he, all our students were like, Oh, oh man, it's like, you know, Till of the hun and the raft, you know what I mean? For like the next four hours. And over here was this other really good looking cool guide. And the cool, I listened to the cool guide. I was listening to him kind of talk to the other students over there. And he spent more time trying to show them how witty he was and how he, he, was, he spent more time flirting with the girls and showing the guys how witty and cool he was and not much time talking about the rapids on the river and what they were going to face, Well, our students were looking over there too and seeing him, and they were saying, "Man, why can't we have a guy like that? He's so cool. Looks like he looks like so much fun." Until we get on the river, and we're going down, he goes left side, right side, this side, back side, whatever. Yeah, we're going down the river we're having a good old time. They're floating sideways. They're going spinning in circles and they're not having a fun time at all. They're disor They're completely unorganized. They don't know what's going on. They're frustrated. You can hear them yelling at each other and we're following them down the river. And ultimately we hit some rapids. You know what happened to their sideways boat? It slammed into a rock. The water was pounding against their raft. The girls were screaming. The guys were hanging onto to the girls. They were in this undertow. They call it like a, hydro, like a hydraulic kind of thing where the, the water pulls you underneath the rock and the, the raft was getting pulled under and people were kind of hanging onto the rock. It was bedlam. We had to stop. They were, their lives were in jeopardy. We had to stop our raft to go and rescue them and put our lives in jeopardy to rescue them because their guy was really cool and He was fun. Let's follow him and spin in circles and get sucked under a rock. That's basically what happens to you, my friends, when you follow the wrong guide and listen to the wrong voice. But it's fun. (laughs) You know, because he's cool and he sounds cool and he looks cool and he'll lead you right under a big fat rock. Right to your death. That's the reality of life. That's the reality of life. And that's what people are doing. We're listening to the wrong guide. What the world has to offer sometimes looks like so much fun and it looks so easy. But as many of you know, it leads to devastating consequences. Beniah stayed focused on God and to the task at hand. He stayed focused on God and to the task at hand. He was never fooled into taking the easy path and he remained steadfast and he remained loyal. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. I'm adding to this. Don't let the culture move you. Don't let the enemy move you. Don't be talked into things. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the labor, that, that the labor in the Lord is not in vain. We are being, we are being killed in our culture by listening to these these talking heads who are telling us what to think. This is okay. And be tolerant of that. You know, the Bible, the Bible talks about, you know, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And that's exactly what's happening. And we're going right along with it because you're intimidated not to. How dare you say anything against anyone who's doing anything that would be against God. They will scream at you. They will call you names. They will intimidate you. You're going to go to college or you high school and your professors are not going to want to have open conversation and mind enlightening conversation to hear all viewpoints what they're going to do is hear your viewpoint one time and they're going to intimidate you and belittle you in class that so you never open your mouth again that's what they're going to do that's what they're going to do and we need to be like Beniah and stand up to the giant egyptian to the, 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 the Moab's two best men, and to the lion. We need to stand up and hold our ground. Let nothing move you. God may not ask us to, to take on powerful men or ferocious beasts, but God does call us, like Benaiah, to be courageous, to be steadfast, to be passionate, to be immovable in our service to him. This is not a game. You don't come to church because it's religious and it's one more thing to do during the week. God is everything. Jesus lives in you. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He's not some, God is not something you pull off the shelf. <laughs> And dust him off when you need something. Oh, I have a test tomorrow. Oh, I'm in trouble right now. I I, I haven't talked to God in forever. I haven't read the Bible in for whenever. But you know what? Now something's wrong in my life. Hey, can you help me out? You know what you do when you do that? You got this little puny God sitting up on the shelf. You got this little puny God that you pull out of the box. You know, wrap the paper off him. Ooh, that's how we live our lives. God is not some little thing that lives in a box. God is God. God is everything. God is Lord and Savior of your life and my life. God is our being. God is our breath, every breath that we take. God is the one who gave us purpose. God is the one who gave us meaning. God is the one who created us. And God wants to use every single one of us to change this world in some small or large way, depending on how he chooses to use us. And we need to be ready for that. We need to be open to that. You have to ask yourself. You have to ask yourself, where are you this morning? Where are you in your life this morning? See, there are a lot of people who followed David into the wilderness. When David was in the wilderness being chased around by Saul, a lot of people, a lot of rugged kind of people went out into the wilderness and followed David and became a part of his kingdom. But not many of them were called mighty men. Not many of them were called his mighty men. They followed him out there but they weren't listed as his, one of his mighty men. Where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? If God's list of mighty Christians came out today, would your name be on it? You know, you want your name to be on the list of the play you made or the sports team that you're on or the whatever. You want, you look at, oh, did I make it? Or, oh, did I, did I? Ask yourself, if God's, God's list came out, would your name be on God's list of mighty warriors, of mighty men or mighty women of God? Would would your name be on that list? See, every Christian is in the kingdom of Christ because we are followers of Jesus Christ and we have Jesus Christ living in us. So we we are in the kingdom of Christ. But only those who are willing to stand against injustice... Only those who are willing to overcome the pressures of this culture, only those who are willing to serve their king with courage and devotion in spite of adversity will stand out as one of God's mighty ones only those Christians who are willing to stand up and take on the giants in life, who are willing to jump in the pits of life and fight the enemy on its own ground, only those will be remembered as God's mighty ones. And every single one of you, every single one of us in this room has the ability, has the God-given ability to be on that list of mighty men and women, mighty teenagers, mighty children. Every single one of us has the ability, no one has more ability than anyone else to be on that list you know why because ability comes from your heart and every single one of you have the same resurrection power as i have every single one of you has the same opportunities that i have or anyone else in this room has oldest to youngest god can use us you know it's time for some of you to get off the bench and get into the game Some of you are new to the church and I, uh, you know, take your time. But some of you have been coming for a while now and it's time for you to get off the bench and get into the church and serve to use the God-given gifts and abilities that you have. It's time to awaken that untapped potential to unleash that. You need to unleash yourself on this church. And we have a booklet here Um, that, that we've made. We've worked so hard on this. It's a ministry description booklet. And if you're not connected at Grace Chapel, this book will tell you how you use it. It gives every ministry in the church. It gives a description. It gives how much time it takes during the week to do that job. You can take one of these booklets before you leave. Take it home as your family, read through it and get yourself connected. Jump into the pit. Because the reality is, if you're not moving forward, you're falling back. If you're not moving ahead, my friends, Christians don't just stand still. They slide on back. We need to move forward. We need to be willing to get out there and serve. Ask yourself, where am I serving within the church? Also, we need to, and I, I say this with a pure heart, we need to be looking at ourselves in our own hearts and ask ourselves, are we giving financially, giving giving as an act of worship? My friends, giving is an act of worship, just like singing praise songs, praying, giving to God as an act of worship. And I'll tell you where, this is where we fall short. It's one of those things where we look and say, see the economic times. I thought about this week and say, this is like this giant Egyptian. I can't do this, pastor. And you, now you've ruined the whole sermon because you're about money. You've ruined it for me. Come on back, okay? You have to do always everything with a a good heart, with a desire to do it or don't do it at all. But all I'm saying to you as your pastor has nothing to do with the finances of the church. It has to do with your worship of God, of not allowing that giant Egyptian to stand in your way, the economy of the country, the economic situation. You know, the widow's might was all she needed to give and Jesus pointed her out as the person who had the strongest heart and the greatest faith. Because she gave what she had. Spiritual maturity comes as we are willing to give whatever God asks us to give. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about giving of ourselves, giving of our resources, giving of our stuff. Whatever it is, whatever it is that's holding you back from becoming more like Jesus Christ, I don't care what it is, you need to give it up you need to give it up. You need to lay it at the foot of the cross and say, this giant is not going to hold me back from my spiritual growth. Some of you need to grow spiritually this morning. And here's what you need to do. You need to get connected to a life group. There's sign-up sheets out here. Connect to a life group, a group of people that will come around you and pray and encourage you. You laugh together. You do life together. It's Sunday mornings are they're great, but they're, they're not good for building deep intimacy. And that's what we need to do. Some of you women need to get involved in one of the 98 Bible studies that go on during the week. You guys have great, amazing Bible studies. I come here at 6 o'clock in the morning. You're in. You're coming. I'm like, holy mackerel. <laughs> Men, we meet at 7, 7 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. Now I know some of you thinking, Oh, man, 7 a.m., blah, 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 blah. Get up, Nancy, and come to Bible study, all right? We're talking about Beniah here, okay? Come to Bible study. We're going, to, we're going through the book of Colossians, and we're talking about True North and fighting the enemy on its own ground and saying, what is truth? We're going to stick to the truth. We're going to protect ourselves and protect our families from the influence of our culture. Let's get up. Let's work together. Let's grow together. We need to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we want to be the kind of people who are willing, I want you to stand up if you would. Just stand up. We're going to close here. Stand up. Grab the hand next to you. If anyone's next to you, kind of grab a hand. Move over. Find a hand. Just grab someone's hand. Sweaty as it is. We're all in this together. Sweaty palms are good. It's fine. Let's bow our heads as we pray together. Hold the hand next to you. Lord God, we just pray. And Lord, we understand that if we don't hold together, if we don't stand together, if we don't stick together, if we don't work together with you as our head, Lord God, we will never accomplish what you called us to accomplish. Father, we want to be people who are willing to go on the offensive, to jump into the snowy pit with the lion. Because we know that you called us to defeat the enemy. We know that you called us not to be passive, not to wait to be prey, not to be victims of our own story, but to be those who would stand and fight for you. Father, we want to be those who would take on the, the, the Moabites, those strong, those strong, evil men that would basically, Lord, take our lives that represent the flesh that is, is constantly tempting and pulling at us. Together, Lord God, together we can stand together and encourage each other and build each other up and keep each other accountable as we fight off the enemy that is within. And Father, we, we stand together also to overcome this world and the struggles and the pressures and the temptations that the world throws at us constantly to become more like it, Lord God. We don't want to become more like the world. We want to become more like you. And only as we stand together as one with you as our head living in us, being the power that flows through us. Can we overcome the world? We pray, God, that you would help us. Together, we would stand together as one with you as our savior and Lord marching before us. Allow us, Lord God, to storm the gates of hell because they cannot prevail. They cannot stand if we are together and you are our guide and our voice. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we give it all to you. Amen. We'll see you Wednesday night, six o'clock at the harvest party.